0: Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Have you ever done case studies? Have y'all done those before? If you've done a case study, raise your hand. Been a part of a case study? Okay, I figured quite a few of you. At school, Maybe in jobs that you do case studies. Brian and I are always having case studies with our mission organization. And I don't know if you know what a case study is, but it describes an individual situation, a case, uh, a person, a business, or organization, institution, something like that. Then in it you identify key issues of the case, so things that were a problem, things that were good about what was done. Then you analyze the case using relevant theoretical concepts as you study it. So you put it all out out there, and this was a case study. When I read scripture, I have decided Jesus was the inventor of case studies. He was always presenting a problem. Those were the parables, remember that. Always was a case study, that Jesus would tell you a story about somebody and ask you, which one was the better guy? You know the Good Samaritan story? Which one was doing the Father's will? He gives you case studies over and over again. So today, we're going to look at a couple of case studies from Jesus again. And uh, the first one that we're looking at, well, the main scripture that we're looking at today is found in Mark 8. And this is when Jesus feeds the 4,000. So it starts with, About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. So you see two words there that you need to kind of clue in on. It says, about this time, another large crowd gathered, and the people ran out of food. What does it say? Again. So then you go, so if I haven't been reading the book of Mark, what is he talking about? So you go back, and you look at chapter 6, where Jesus was feeding the 5,000. And, you, and when you see that, you realize, when I tell this to you, remember these details Of this story in chapter 6 it was a huge crowd just like Jesus was saying he'd stepped off of a boat and a huge crowd had come Jesus had compassion on this crowd because he said they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things late in the afternoon the disciples came to him and said we're in a remote place we're out in the middle of nowhere basically and it's getting late Jesus, send them home because they need, to go buy, they need to go buy something to eat. Jesus' answer was, you feed them. Can you see these disciples? You feed them. Case study. With what, they asked. We, we'd have to work for months to be able to pay for 4,000 people, 5,000 people to be able to eat. Now, this is 5,000 men, and they're not counting the women and children. I think we'd have to work years for us to be able to f- feed this many people. So they just can't believe it, that God's asking them to do this, that Jesus asked them. So Jesus asks, so how much bread do you have? Go find it. So he sends them on a task. They came back, and they said they had five loaves of bread and two fish. And then Jesus says, tell the people to sit down. And then he, they sat in groups of 50 and 100. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He blessed it. He thanked God for this. And then he began to break the loaves in half, handing them to the disciples. He did the same with uh, uh, fish, handing them out. And it says that they all ate as much as they want. That's a lot if you eat as much as you want. I know a lot of these young men in this church, they eat a lot. And if they, when they're at my house eating, they eat a lot. Right, Rico? They eat a lot. And to say they ate as much as they wanted, that's a lot. And so then it says, then uh, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, and all the families were, fe- were fed. So noticing the similarities in chapter 6, moving now to a new story in Mark 8, starting with verse the second part of verse 1. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They've been, with here, been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. Now, here's a the difference. They're on the third day here with this. If I send them home hungry, they'll faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. His di- disciples replied, How are we supposed to find enough food out here in the wilderness? Same statement. Isn't that interesting? Y'all know what deja vu is, right? Where you think you've already seen it again. Deja vu is a French phrase that means already seen. Surely they're going, as soon as this comes out of their mouth, we're in the will. I've done this before. But they don't. They don't have deja vu yet. So Jesus presents the problem that the people are going to faint from hunger as they're traveling home. He hurts for them. He doesn't want this to happen to them. And then the disciples present the obvious back to Jesus. We're in the wilderness, Jesus. Uh, Namibia has wildernesses. You've been in, I hope, in the desert. There's a wilderness in this country. And if you're out there and, there and you didn't have enough food, you would look around and go, we're in the wilderness. Where in the world are we going to get food? So the disciples are basically asking Jesus, what are you thinking, that we should feed them? Are you crazy? And the disciples see the impossibility and they miss the heart of God. This is round two. The disciples have done this. No human can provide enough people, enough food for 4,000 men and, and their families. But God. I love the but God stories in our Bible. Always circle a but God, but God story when you see it, when you are presented with the problem and then, but God has a solution. So in Mark 8, verse 5, it says, Jesus asked, How much bread do you have? I sit there just thinking, surely the disciples are starting to go, huh? This has happened just recently. And so the disciples say, seven loaves. That's all we got, seven loaves. So Jesus told everybody to sit down, took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, broke them into pieces, gave them to disciples who distributed them amongst the people, had a few small fish. So the other one was two fish, and this is two small fish, and commentaries say it's probably sardines. I don't really like sardines. But anyway, if I was starving, maybe I'd eat a sardine. So he takes the little fish, so you don't see him just breaking little tiny fish up, but he starts distributing the fish. It's just multiplying the bread and the fish. They ate as much as they wanted. It says that again in verse 8. And then the disciples picked up seven large baskets of food. And immediately after this, he sent everybody home. Jesus and the disciples get into a boat and cross over into the region of Dalmanutha. So can't you just see the disciples as they now have done all this, this miracle has happened again, and they're crawling into the boat, and they're going after each other, and, and I can just hear them go, I knew Jesus could do it. Another disciple says, you did not. No, I did. I did too. I knew he'd do it. I wasn't wouldn't, I wouldn't doubting him for a minute. Can you hear them saying that as they're crawling into the boat? So as they go... Uh, uh, verse 11 says when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived in Dalmanutha they came and started arguing with him just so they instantly approached Jesus and they start arguing with him testing him they're trying to catch him in a lie catch him in a ruse and they demanded that they show that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority Now, when you think about, they have heard about these feedings, you know they've heard about it. They've heard about the feeding of the 5,000. They've heard about the feeding of the 4,000. They probably have heard the story of him turning the water into wine at the wedding feast, of blind people seeing and lame people walking. You know they've heard all these stories. Maybe they have even seen them. Maybe they were at some of the feedings and got to eat some of this miracle. But they're demanding a sign that he proves that he's really the son of God. And when Jesus heard this, it says he sighed deeply in his spirit. He groaned inside of him. Have you ever felt this deep groan inside of you? Because something's just breaking your heart. I can hear it. I can hear this uh, inside of Jesus. Why do these people... Keep demanding a miraculous sign. I tell you the truth. I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left them, and he crossed to the other side of the lake, and he left them. Do you think that's a sad verse there? I think that is so sad. And he left them. It meant they were not teachable. They were not able to hear. Jesus didn't leave anybody ...without teaching them when they were willing. But it says, "...and he left them." Earlier in chapter 6, we read about Jesus going back home to his hometown in Nazareth. In 6 verse 1 through 3, it says, "...Jesus left the, that part of the country, returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his home, hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles?" But then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They refused. They see who he is, they've heard what he's doing, and they still refused to believe in him. Have you ever just missed it? Have you ever just miss something that you wish you hadn't known about when you were in that situation, and it was only later that you realized that you really missed something wonderful. We had a situation uh, many years ago when my oldest son, Jeremy, uh, was in seventh grade, and he loved basketball, still loves basketball, and, of course, Michael Jordan was his greatest hero in the world. He loved Michael Jordan, and he tried to be just like just like Mike. And uh, so he worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. Well, one day, uh, some friends of ours called him, and uh, the man David, he worked for Coca-Cola. He said, we're going to have a Coca-Cola event uh, tonight. Jeremy, would you like to go with us? Well, I don't even remember what it was, but I actually am thinking it was a school dance that uh, Jeremy, did I say Zachary? Jeremy, um, Jeremy was having at his school that night a seventh-grade school dance, and he liked a girl. And he told David, "Thanks for asking me, but I'm going to give it a miss. I've got this school function that I'm already committed to go to." So he finds out later when David comes over later, and he brings him this big poster of Michael Jordan. These different uh, pictures of Michael Jordan in this picture on in this poster. And at the bottom, it says, to Jeremy, love Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan sat at the table with David and his wife. And where Jeremy would have been sitting, but he was at a seventh grade school dance. Can you believe it? So often, it's only later that you go, oh, What a dumb decision I just made. I didn't know. Why didn't somebody... That's what Jeremy kept saying. Why didn't somebody tell me Michael Jordan was going to be there? So anyway, yes, we've all had those opportunities that we've missed. So the disciples have twice missed that Jesus is the answer in the wilderness when they have needs. Twice, they've been standing with the Son of God in great need, and not understanding that Jesus is their help. And now the Pharisees, again, are set on proving one more time that Jesus is the Son of God. I think about us, I think so often we ask God for signs. Sometimes you might not call it a sign, but if I ask God for something and he says no, then I go, Obviously, God's not there. I've heard that so many times. I'm sure you've heard it. Maybe you've said it. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, and God didn't answer. Brian has a, a younger, much younger cousin, lives in Arkansas, and a little country boy. And when he was small, we were all together with his family, and um, someone said, let's, let's say the blessing. And um, our son, Zachary, was sitting beside him. And he looks at Zachary and he says, You know what? One time I prayed and asked Jesus for a John Deere tractor. He didn't give it to me. Now I only pray to Santa Claus. That was his answer. Are we any different than this little boy? We ask Jesus. We get more out of Santa Claus than we get out of Jesus. We're asking him for a sign. But how many signs are enough? How many would be plenty? And as we're looking at the Pharisees, we judge them because how many would have been enough for them? There wasn't. But how many is enough for you and for me? How many would be enough for me to say to Jesus, I'm all in. I won't doubt you again. Whether you tell me yes or no, I'm all in and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you when I'm praising you and dancing in the streets and I'm going to trust you when I'm bowed at your feet grieving and my heart is breaking. How many signs do you need before you say I'm all in? I think about that and I think I don't have the answer and I keep asking Jesus help me to know you're enough. Show me that you are enough no matter what comes in to this day. Help me to trust you, not the signs. Help me to love you, not love you because you give me stuff. I can look back over my life, oh my goodness has Jesus been there over and over and over again. I can just look back and I can say, that should be enough signs, Dana. You should never question him again. You should never doubt him again you've had plenty he's faithful now we're back on the boat they're crossing to the other side again but the disciples had forgotten to bring any food i think this is hilarious i mean i think the Bible's so funny so you need to enjoy the bible so all this about bread okay now they get on the boat and the first thing it says is they forgot to bring food so that's very significant Now, that they've just fed 4,000 people, and they had all these baskets left over, but they only had one loaf of bread. Oh, boy, do we have a problem now. The disciples are with Jesus on the boat, and they only have one loaf of bread. And so as they're crossing the lake, Jesus is still in his mind with the Pharisees, and it's now another teaching moment. He says, watch out, beware of the yeast, of the Pharisees, and of Herod. It's just another teaching moment for Jesus. It's heavy on his mind. And he uses the analogy, Jesus used all the time, normal, everyday things so so they could understand who he is and what the kingdom of God is like. So he says yeast. They know what yeast is. They do the Passover every year where you don't have any yeast anywhere in your house. You don't do any yeast in your bread. They know what yeast does. I'll give you a little yeast lesson. Uh, during the When you put yeast into something, it begins to divide. It multiplies, and it starts producing carbon dioxide, and therefore it starts rising in this flour. Little by little, it starts multiplying in the flour, and it just starts making it rise. That's what yeast is made to do. So Jesus is warning the disciples about the bad influences of these religious leaders. These religious leaders that are not doing what God has actually called them to do. He's telling them, don't be influenced by this teaching. Wow, we have a lot of teaching out there now. You can look at any teaching you ever want to look at. You need to have a brain here. Everybody, touch your head like this. I'm telling you, there's a brain right between your two fingers. I promise you. Say, I have a brain. Yeah, use your brain that God has given you. As you listen to stuff, there's so much coming at you every day. Turn it off. If the second you hear, this is not right, don't listen to it to the end. Turn it off. God's given you a finger too. Off. You can do that. Don't listen to things that you feel like, this is not what God's word says, I don't want to hear this. I don't even want to ponder on this. God is telling his disciples, Jesus is saying, don't let them influence you. Yeast does little by little. Our outside voices do little by little. Our outside culture does little by little. And it starts changing us if we're not aware, like yeast. I had an experience in my young 20s uh, had My first husband and my best friends were Nancy and Bill Pitts. He was a chemist at Exxon Company in Baton Rouge in uh, Louisiana. And I had been given a bottle of vanilla, that raw vanilla that had come up from Mexico, and um, I didn't pay much for it. And you know how expensive real vanilla is. And it had a flavor that I cannot express to you how delicious it was. And I started baking with it. Things tasted like nothing had tasted before. It was delicious. So I baked something. And my friend Bill says, man, this is really good. What's different about it? And I said, I've got this great vanilla that a friend got from Mexico for me. And he goes, give me your vanilla. And I said, why? He goes, I'm taking it to the labs, and I'm going to test it. And I said, what are you testing it for? He says, just give me your vanilla. So I gave it to him. So the next day he brings it back, hands me this bottle, and he says, this has toxic chemicals in it. He said, very often when it comes kind of underground across the border, it's not the pure stuff. It has toxic chemicals in it. So I say to him, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, I say to him, I'm not using that much. It's just a little bit. Surely that's not going to hurt anything. He says, are you a moron? I'm telling you, this has toxic chemicals in it. So he takes it out of my hand, tosses it in the trash can. As I'm walking to the trash can to pull it out, Bill says to me, okay, Dana, I'm just going to buy a little package of rat poison for you. Just suck on one of those little rat poison tablets a day. It won't hurt you. It's not going to be too bad. It really won't kill you at once. It'll be a slow building up before you die. You'll be okay. Just suck on a little rat poison. and He says, this will hurt your liver. Eventually you will start having liver problems. What if we could have somebody to tell us that? What if someone would say, this is going to hurt you. Today you might be fine. This is little by little by little coming into your life. and One day you're going to look back and say, this damaged me. I wish I hadn't done that. But once again, the disciples have missed Jesus' teaching. And so, in verse 16, this is funny again, and at this they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. They thought that Jesus was bothered by the lack of food on the boat. And I think about that, what's so funny to me. What would be harder for Jesus? In the wilderness, 4,000 men coming up with enough food are on a boat with 12 disciples and Jesus, which would be a harder crowd to feed. But But the disciples start arguing that Jesus must be talking, that they had forgotten the bread. So Jesus does this, come on, guys, speech now. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? I mean, I could just hear him. He's incredulous with this. He loves these guys. Surely they are going to get this. I think about this every time I ever prepare a Bible study or anything. I work and work and work, and I get so excited about it. I have done this. Elka and I have done this so many times out in Catedral when we teach a Bible study out there work and work and work and nobody hears it and we stand in front of people i stand in front of you and i say please listen please don't let god's word just drop right down in front of me please hear the heart of god and i hear jesus in this going please listen you are my closest people you know me better than anybody how can you be arguing about bread it's not about bread how are you missing it how are you and i missing what jesus is trying to say to us emphatically how do we miss it over and over again jesus says do you know or understand even yet are your hearts so hard to take it in you have eyes but you cannot see you have ears Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? Do you hear him? Do you hear him? He's frustrated with them. He's saying, what do I have to do to make you understand who I am? What will it take? What do you have to see or hear or be a part of? that you would understand that it is not about bread. It is about Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is quoting when he says, you have eyes that don't see and you have ears that don't hear. He's quoting Jeremiah verses 21 to 23 says listen you foolish and senseless people with eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear have you no respect for me why don't you tremble in my presence I the Lord define the ocean's sandy shoreline as an everlasting boundary to the waters so that the waters cannot cross the waves may toss and roar but they can never pass the boundaries I set but my people have stubborn and rebellious hearts they have turned away And have abandoned me. So when he used that phrase, you know the disciples knew what he was referring to. You you know they were going, ah, that probably hurt. That was one of those pings that Jesus was trying to make them feel shocked at their behavior. Have you ever been shocked at your behavior before Christ? I have. Have you ever just gone, oh, Jesus? How could I have thought that? How could I have done that? How could I have said that? That we're surprised at our behavior. And Jesus has used these words to his disciples saying, How can you not understand what this is about? Surely you've read scripture. I hope you will read scripture this year. Highlight it as you're reading it. When God says, You need to look at this. When you go, ugh, It got me right in the heart. I think when you sit there and you look at this scripture, I think about for me, uh, when I was in my 20s, I was reading 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4. This is one of those that God hurt my heart with. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. I had such a fiery spirit at this time of my life, a fiery spirit, not a God-fiery spirit, a fiery personal spirit. And when I read that, I said to Jesus, oh, no, I don't have a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious to God. It broke me. I want to be precious to God. When I read that, I started begging God, would you give me a gentle and quiet spirit? Would you make me precious to you? I started finding women, collecting women that have gentle and quiet spirits. Do you know women? There's not very many women that have gentle and quiet spirits. They're not so easy to find. God used that scripture to really target an area of my life. And that's what he's done to the disciples when he says in verse 18, don't you remember anything at all? Do you not remember where we have been walking, the teachings you've been hearing, the miracles you've been seeing? He says throughout scripture, he tells us to remember his covenants. He tells us to remember his uh, laws. He tells us to remember his love and his promises, his goodness, his faithfulness. He tells us to remember all he has done, that he'll remember our sins no more, yay. He'll never forget us. Remember these things about him. Do you pay attention when God's doing great things in your life so you can remember it later? Can You, you can recall it later, what God has done do you pay attention to these? Do you drop them in? I call them Kodak moments. That used to be a, an advertisement for Kodak when you actually took real film and clicked your camera uh, and go process it, your Kodak film. I used to think that that's what God is saying. Click, I'm going to remember this forever. Click, I'm going to remember that forever. I love remembering forever the goodness of God. I write them down. They're everywhere, all over my shelves and books, everywhere. I'll be doing a looking through an old Bible study and then across the top of the page, click, I've written a memory right there. I feel like God is saying, write them down, lock them in. Don't forget. Remember, because you're gonna be in the wilderness again, and you're going to need to be able to pull out these memories of who God has been. In Lamentations 3, 21 through 23, some of my most favorite verses in the Bible, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassion never fails, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. No matter what is going on in our day, this we recall, therefore we have hope. This we recall. So I say, make your books. Call them your this I recall, therefore I have hope books. You could write across there. This I recall, therefore I have hope. And start writing those memories in. And you'll look, them back, look back at them like Rico was saying when he was looking back and seeing what God has done. As I was looking back through my journals, I have nine grandchildren. And five of them are old enough to know Jesus. And five of them have given their lives to Jesus. And in these journals, as they're being uh, created in their mother's womb, I'm saying, Jesus, bring them to you at a young age. It's written in there, Jesus, save these grandchildren while they're young. Excuse me. Don't let them go any time without you. And he's answered that prayer for five out of the nine grandchildren so far. Four of them are still too young. I'm trusting he will continue answering this prayer. This I recall. Therefore, I have hope. <clears throat> Mark 8, chap, uh, verse 19 through 21. So the disciples have been sternly corrected. I, I can just see them kind of, their heads are probably down as Jesus has rebuked them. And then Jesus reminds them, He's going to help them remember. He's already said, Don't you remember anything? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Do you hear them? Twelve. See them? Then didn't go, Twelve? No, I bet they went, Twelve. Then he says, And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Say it. Seven. Do you see them? They know. They know what he's saying. And then he ends it. And I can hear him quietly saying this to them. Again, don't you understand yet? Don't you understand? I'm the first place to look. I'm the first place you go to. In Matthew 6, where it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you as well. Jesus said that. He wants to be the first place we go to. He wants to be our first thought. When there's a problem, he wants us to say, Jesus, Jesus, I need some help here. He wants to be our first run-to place. Do you not understand yet who Jesus is? In Matthew nineteen twenty six, Jesus looked at them intently and said to his same disciples, "Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. But God, circle. But God, with humans, with me, with Dana Bullington, nothing is possible. Nothing." I cannot do a day without him. Nothing is possible. I can't breathe the next breath of air without him. I have no control over that. I have no control over whether my heart beats another beat or not. My dad at 80, his heart stopped, and he fell like a tree. Mom said he fell straight down. And the fact that he fell face down, crushing his whole face and knocking out I think eight teeth and breaking his ribs and everything, it jarred his heart and made his heart start beating again. I still have a daddy eight years later. But God says, if our heart's going to beat, one more beat. God says, if you and I are going to breathe the next breath, God says, with him, everything is possible. As you go through this week praying, and fasting. Please pray. Please pray. Talk to God. Enjoy your time with your heavenly Father. Pray. Talk to him. Don't say amen. Just talk and talk. And you can see I'm a talker. So God really is probably very patient with me. Because I talk to him all the time. I'm just talking to him. I thank him when I knocked the sugar bowl and I caught it right before I hit the ground. I went, oh, good job, God. You caught the sugar. I didn't have time to clean that up. Thanks. I talk to him like he's with me because he's with me. He's always with me. And I've got a lot going on up here. And I have a lot to say. And I need God to say a lot back to me. Talk to him. Let him talk to you seek him god has a compassion for you and for me and for everybody ask god what is breaking your heart god how do you want to use me for what's breaking your heart what do you want me to do about this and do you know if he tells you something your first thought would be i don't have enough money to do that i don't have enough time to do that i don't have the physical strength to do that. With man, it's humanly impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So he's not confined to our lack of resources. So if he tells you something, then you say back to him, I can't. I can't do it. I'm going to trust that you're going to give me what I need to do what you've called me to do. If you are in need, you and I, have the one sorry we are the children of the God that can do anything that we want ask God to show you how he wants to use you sorry are you actively remembering who God is are you remembering who he wants to be in your life ask him to show you this week ask him to remind you Who he is. Go stand on your front porch and see a double rainbow. Did you see that this week? I've got pictures if you missed it. It's so beautiful. Stop for a second and celebrate when an owl is hooting over your house. And celebrate. Oh, God, you're incredible. What an amazing God you are. Are you actively remembering what God's doing in your life? Are you thinking about what he's done in your life? A lot of you are going through grief. We had a lot of people go through a lot of losses recently. Pray for our, our sweet family. We have a lot of hurting people in this room who have lost loved ones. Pray for them. Ask God to remind them who he is, even in this sorrowful time. It's easy to let our hearts grow hard with the cares of this world. If you don't keep remembering who he is and what he's done, your heart can grow hard. How long have you been hearing about Jesus? How long have you been hearing about Jesus? All my life for me. Some of you, it might be newer. All my life I've been hearing about Jesus. And sometimes when the fear is growing in me about something, I can hear Jesus say this. Dana, don't you understand yet? You've been hearing about me since you were born. Don't you understand yet who I am? Jesus is asking you that same question. How long will it take before you and I understand the Son of God, the mighty Son of God, has come, and he wants to be our Savior. He wants to be our hope. He wants to be faithful, never leaving, never forsaking. And he wants to be your but God story. Let's pray. My dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you're bigger than us. Wow, I thank you that you're not like me. Thank you that you can see ahead. Thank you that you know who I'm going to be in the days and months and years ahead. Thank you, Lord, that you choose to work through us. Jesus, help us to trust you. Help us to trust that you have all that we need to walk through this world in victory. Lord, show us how you want to use us as individuals, as New Song Family Church. Call us out to the difficult places. And Lord, when we're standing in the wilderness, Lord, I ask that our first thought is, Jesus, help us in this wilderness. Help me, Jesus. So as we do this, Lord, as we go into this week, Lord, I pray for victory over evil in any of our lives that are facing that. Victory over strongholds, Jesus. Victory over addictions. I pray that you would turn sorrow into joy again, Jesus that you would take our lives that are in ashes and that you would give us restoration, that you'd put us back together in all new ways. Jesus, I ask that whatever anybody's thinking about right now, that they need a mighty God. Jesus, that you're just listening to them and you're saying, I hear you. I hear your heart's cry. I thank you so much that we don't have to do one second without you and Jesus we stand before you telling you like in the Old Testament with King Jehoshaphat Lord we don't know what to do but our eyes are only on you in your name we pray Jesus amen this is Rico Vecca and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you'll join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.